Morning, everyone. Good morning. Morning, morning, morning. Um, we're, currently, we're currently in the middle of a teaching series, which we've um, entitled Encount- G- Encounters with Jesus. <laughs> I was like, what did we call this thing? What is the date of our birthday? It's catching. It's catching. We've been looking at various different encounters with Jesus as recorded in the Gospels and how each encounter hugely impacts the lives of individuals. And each encounter happens at specific locations. So we've looked at an encounter that happened on a mountain, um, up a tree, at a picnic. This morning the setting is a party. And it's amazing how two people can have entirely different experiences of the same event depending upon their perspective. That's happened several times for me in my life. So I remember, for example, the first time that I took my now wife Becca out for a coffee. Um, Going for a coffee with a girl on my own wasn't the type of thing I I normally did. And so when she agreed to go with me to the mud cafe, I thought, this is a date. Um, Becca didn't see it quite that way. (laughs) For her, this was just two mates hanging out, no strings attached. Same event, different perspective, leading to two very different experiences. Yes, for Becca... It was relaxed. It was fun. As I say, no strings. For me, there were strings everywhere. Um, It was nervous, sweaty palms, racing hearts, and the occasional passing of wind because I was nervous. (laughs) This was was a big deal. I I also remember, aged around 10, being on holiday in France with my older brother and going to an evening disco like you have at these holiday camps. Tim, my brother Tim, he started pulling out these dance moves that I'd never seen before. And I thought, oh, he is really cool. Um, He is absolutely owning this dance floor. So I kind of sided up next to him and busted out exactly the same moves, the kind of running man. And there was, they were really good moves. They were kind of (laughs) moves of the time. And and my perspective was, I too am exceptionally cool right now. Uh, Meanwhile, the dance floor swiftly emptied, leaving more or less just me and Tim there. Everyone else clearly saw things a slightly different way. And with that different perspective, no longer wanted to share our experience at that disco. Different, I know. Can you believe it? Those moves were great. Um, we're going to look this morning at two people experiencing the same event very differently. Same location, same centerpiece, opposite experiences stemming from different perspectives. So if you'd like to open your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. It's going to come on the screen, so don't worry if you've not got your Bible with you. It says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she bought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I've something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? 
Simon replied, suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the moment I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What I'd like us to do this morning is to meet two characters. I'd like us to meet Simon and to meet this unnamed woman. And what I want us to do is to just get under their skin and try and understand what's going on for them in this particular moment in time. We'll be looking at their background, at their, spon- at their response, at their perspective, at their need and at their heart. And as we understand more of them, perhaps we'll start to understand something more about ourselves too. I'd like you to ask yourselves as we go on this morning, to what extent am I like that? Be open to that. And I pray this morning we'll see something more of Jesus, be transformed by it. Let's start by introducing, if we go back to the other one, let's introduce uh, Simon to you. This is Simon. Uh, Simon here is a Pharisee. He's a very religious man, a man of influence and with power in the community. He's got a reputation. He's highly esteemed. That's no bad thing. Some of us in the room have a reputation. Uh, People of influence, it's a good thing. For Simon, this was the thing. His reputation and his standing within society, that kind of defined who he was. He came from a group called the Pharisees, and they had pretty hard right-wing political and social views. So most of them had no time for any kind of movement that began with a groundswell amongst common people. A movement that began amongst the people probably wasn't something they were going to be interested in. And that's exactly the kind of movement that Jesus was leading in first century Israel. But Simon, Simon has heard of Jesus and he's at least a little intrigued by him and wants to check him out for himself. Maybe he'd heard something of the the miracles Jesus had done. See, Luke, in the previous chapter to what we've just looked at, describes how Jesus had just raised a young man from the dead in a town called Nain. And it caused the people to say, a great prophet has risen amongst us, and God has visited his people. And Luke tells us in chapter 7 and verse 17 that this report about Jesus spread throughout the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. So perhaps Simon had heard the report and thought to himself, I need to check this out for myself. And so he invited Jesus to come and eat with him. And he invited like-minded friends of his, other Pharisees, to join in. Now, in Jesus' time, ideas of privacy were very different to what they are for us now. Social gatherings at a house were generally not kind of closed-off affairs There was no kind of shut curtains or shut windows. Everything was open, doors open, windows open. Anyone could wander in and check it out for themselves or put their head through to to see what was going on. And people often did. But some were not so welcome. 
For example, this woman. Meet this woman. For a woman to wander into a gathering of important religious people was highly unconventional and frowned upon. But for a certain type of woman to do that, unthinkable. See, this woman was a known sinner, a woman of the city, probably a prostitute, unclean, unwelcome. But of course, this woman was used to being treated in such a way. No one ever really wanted her around unless she could serve some fancy of theirs. Familiar with rejection and shame, aware of her sordid reputation, this woman ordinarily would never have dreamed of entering into Simon's house. But she's heard that Jesus was there, and the implied background to Luke's account is, this is not her first encounter with Jesus. Perhaps she'd heard Jesus say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And realized that her aching soul could perhaps be healed by him. Perhaps she'd heard him say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And she'd felt her heaviness and received something of his rest. Perhaps she'd heard him say, I have come to seek and save the lost. And she knew he was talking about her. Perhaps she'd heard him say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And she had believed and she'd received that life. Perhaps she'd heard him say, whoever comes to me, I will never cast away. So she knew she could come. Perhaps she was there when the dead man was raised or the leper cleansed or the blind saw. Perhaps she was among the crowd that had said God has visited his people, her God, her healer, her savior. Something had happened to this woman because her intention was not to come and assess Jesus at Simon's house, but to worship him. And the response of this woman to Jesus was pulled apart to Simon's. You see, this is something of what a house like Simon's might have looked like. And the nature of Simon's response to Jesus can easily be lost in us 21st century Westerners. I mean, if I invite you to come round to my house this afternoon, you can expect that I will take your coat from you, probably give you a hug, and offer you a drink. You know, we all do that. That's normal. Um, it's a way of saying, you're welcome. I'm glad you're here. And there are certain standards of treatment that were expected back in first century Israel as well. In the ancient world, it involved providing water to wash a guest's feet because the roads were very dusty. You welcomed a guest with a kiss of friendship. And when a religious teacher came to spend time with you, you might expect for them to have their head anointed with oil. Oil was cheap, it was plenteous. But in the scriptures, it was a way of honoring a leader. The Simon did none of those things for Jesus. Modern day equivalent. No coat taking, no hugging, no hot drink. Simon is cold towards Jesus. He seems to be content to be around Jesus as a religious interest without really welcoming him in as a trusted friend or an honored presence. I just wonder, are you at all like that? Are we like that? Preferring to keep Jesus at arm's length rather than to really open up to him. Contrast that with the woman's response, this unnamed woman, she too defies all social conventions, but for all the opposite reasons. Extravagant honor, 
outrageous affection, embarrassing devotion. She breaks into the party, pushing past people as if no one else is there, unfazed, trying to get to Jesus. Now, most of us are acutely aware of other people when we enter a room. That's normal. Most of us are always subconsciously thinking, what type of a social context is this, and therefore, how should I behave? A business meeting, this is a handshaking moment. Or um, family gathering, I better kiss that auntie that I haven't seen for like 10 years. Or lads coming around to play football, slap on the back moment. We all do that subconsciously all the time, but this woman defies social conventions by making a beeline for Jesus. And it looks as though she's got this alabaster jar of perfume that she's going to anoint his head with. But as soon as she gets close, all of her plans go to pot because she just breaks down with this emotion of being close to him. And when she gets near him, her tears start to run down her face and fall on his feet. And noticing that her tears are wetting his feet, she then, not thinking, does what no respectable woman would do and lets down her hair in front of everyone and wipes his feet and starts kissing them. And in doing so, her tears and her hair and her kisses express a welcome to Jesus so heartfelt that Simon's cold response stands in stark contrast. And then the jar of perfume adds to the attention of the feet. And Simon thinks, well, assessment over. This man cannot be a prophet. I mean, he can't know what this woman is like. This woman that everyone else knows is a sinner. If he did, then he'd have pulled away. And in a painful irony, while assuming Jesus was blind to the true identity of this woman, Simon shows himself to be blind to the true identity of Jesus. And all along, Jesus is seeing right through to the heart of this changed woman and right through to the heart of Simon. He could see how their perspectives were shaping their experience in this moment. What was their perspective? What was Simon's perspective of life? Simon lived with a horizontal perspective. How did he compare to others around him? Now, that was really the mark of the Pharisees, so confident that they were good, upstanding people, particularly in comparison to everyone else. All their hope and security based in their external performance and how they measured up to others. And that's how people think in general in life, isn't it? When people say, I think I'm quite a good person, what they mean is, compared to other people, I actually think I'm all right. Now, I, I, I am a good person compared to X, Y, and Z. I wonder, how often do we criticize others and in so doing justify ourselves? Did you hear what X did today? How arrogant was Y earlier? And I would never parent my children like Z does. I just wonder whether... That's somehow, sometimes, how we speak. That was the way of the Pharisees, with eyes on self, but in doing so, completely missed God. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 to illustrate this. He tells of a Pharisee and a tax collector praying at the temple. Jesus says the Pharisee is at the temple, tax collector next to him, and then he starts to pray and say, thank you, God, that I am not like other men. Like swindlers, adulterers, or this chap over here, this tax collector. I tithe and I fast and I'm glad to be me. Thank you. I think I'm not like others. Jesus says in that parable that 
In contrast, the tax collector won't even look up to God and just says, Lord, have mercy on me, sinful man. Jesus says that of the two, the tax collector went away justified before God because God loves to show mercy to those who seek it. But those who won't seek it, how can they receive mercy? Simon, like most Pharisees, lived with a horizontal perspective. The most important thing to him was not the posture of his heart, but the projection of himself before others. That's why he was so offended by this woman's entrance into his house. A known sinner, she was not welcome in Simon's house. He didn't want to be associated with her. People might start to think he approved of her lifestyle, or her uncleanness might rub off on on him, or his reputation was at stake here. I wonder, are there any people that you view as unwelcome in this church? Are there any who, if they came to sit in the cinema right now, you wouldn't want to be sitting next to them, associated with them? Is your perspective horizontal? I wonder, do you project a version of yourself on a Sunday or on social media that protects your reputation but doesn't reflect your heart, the posture of your heart. I've done that. I I know I've done that. Projection, more important than posture. It's an uncomfortable question, isn't it? Jesus is interested in what's going on inside, the posture of your heart. Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Let the you be the you you project, also be the true you inside. How about this this woman? What was her perspective? Well, Jesus could see a radical transformation that's happened inside the heart of this woman. I suspect she was very used to a horizontal perspective in life. Now, she knew she didn't match up to Simon or anyone else in town, for that matter. Of course she didn't. She was a prostitute. She was, as one translation called it, a known bad character. Maybe she cheated. Maybe she lied. Perhaps she manipulated. Most likely she was quite foul-mouthed. But when she saw Jesus, her perspective changed horizontal to vertical. Just like the tax collector in Jesus' parable. In him she saw God had visited his people and that God was unlike the temple people who were representing him. In Jesus she saw the holiness of God. Perfect purity. In Jesus, she saw one untainted in conduct and attitude and outlook and interaction. One of awesome authority and power. One from whom men who really see him shrink back like Peter did and say, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Yet one who reaches out. This woman saw Jesus as he is, the light of the world, the image of the invisible God. She saw in him glory. Glory, as John describes it in his gospel, glory as of the only Son of the Father, glory full of grace and truth. She saw Jesus, holy God, reaching down to her in grace and love and forgiveness. She had a vertical perspective that saw that Jesus is the treasure worth selling everything for, the giver of life, the bread of life, the prince of peace, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, even her debt of sin. 
He is big in her vision. She's got eyes for him only. Her God, her saviour, she sees that in him all her needs are truly met. And she had a lot of need. Let's consider their need. I mean, this dear woman, her life was a mess. It's a mess. She needed forgiveness and her shame to be taken away and her guilt to be cleansed and a new start and acceptance and a new identity and love. And she'd found that in Jesus, one who'd washed her clean, one who'd taken her shame, one who'd changed her identity from sinful woman to daughter of God. Perhaps, perhaps you just feel the weight of your need this morning. So many people are walking around with that same sense of need, shame or guilt or identity that's just rooted in something so negative. Perhaps you, like her, are so aware of your need this morning. Lift your eyes to Jesus, who welcomes you to himself. Jesus, the friend of sinners, holy God, gracious saviour. May your perspective go from horizontal to vertical, even now. But how about Simon? Simon's got needs too. And that's what Jesus is trying to point out in this whole parable about the debtors that owe the money lender different amounts, but neither of them can pay. Jesus' story concedes that the life of this woman is very different to the life of Simon. This story is not about glorifying a life of rebellion. This story is not about a testimony that's really impressive, whereby you've gone from the streets to receiving Jesus is what it's all about. That's not it at all. It's not what this story is saying. No, it's true that from a horizontal perspective, this woman is in a much worse state than Simon. And she's feeling the effects of that. Like someone who owes 500 denarii compared to someone who owes 50. Someone who owes 50,000 pounds compared to someone who owes 5,000. But neither can pay the debt. Simon needs to have his perspective shifted from horizontal to vertical. He needs to see God. As a doctor, one of the um, things we'd often have to do is work on our hand washing. Hand washing is really important in hospital. And so when you start for a new hospital, oftentimes there'd be this exercise whereby you, you put on this gel on your hands and in the cold light of day, you can't see it actually. Um, and so you, it's all over your hands. But if you put your hands underneath this light, it's like a luminous purpley light, it all shows up as purple gunk on your hands. And so then you go off and you wash your hands as thoroughly as you can. You look at the chap next to you and think... He is not washing his hands very well. And, and you do all this, and you're like, there's going to be no purple stuff on my hands. And then you come away confident, thinking it's nothing like his hands. And you put your hands underneath, and every time it's like a little bit of purple just got underneath my wedding ring, or it was just in the creases, and there's just, you can't get it all off. You never can. Simon needed to start seeing before the holiness of God his debt of sin is undeniable. In his perfect light, Simon's sin is like crimson stain. In fact, the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he didn't even know when God was in his room. Simon was 
very different to this woman. But his debt was just as real. As real. As far as we can tell, Simon had not slept around with multiple partners in the way that this woman had. But like you and I, he is no stranger to lust. Simon had not stolen or swindled, but like you and me, he was no stranger to coveting what someone else has got. Simon had not murdered, but like you and me, he'd lost his temper and at times looked at others with contempt. Simon had not asked people to worship him as God, but like you and I, he was no stranger to hypocrisy and fear of man. When considered against the illuminous light of the holiness of God, seen in Jesus, Simon falls far short from the glory of God. The beautiful glory of God. He fits into Martin Luther's description of a sinner that we all do. That person who's curved in on himself. This Simon had fallen short from God's glory. So had this woman. So have I. So have you. But Jesus is there offering to Simon precisely what he offers to the woman. Precisely what he offers to you and to I. To cancel all debts for free simply because he loves us and he can. Here at the party, Jesus knew the journey he was heading towards was the cross where he would cancel the debt of sin for all who would trust in him, whether your life is closer to Simon or to this woman. The Bible has made it clear that God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That he would offer himself completely to us, that by simply looking to him and trusting in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Put your hands under the illuminous light. There's no purple. In Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty may become rich. This is what the woman at the party had discovered. Jesus' riches for her poverty. Do you realize how rich you are in Christ by simply coming to him and trusting him? In him you are lavished with a love so strong that nothing can separate you from it. Clothed in his perfection so pure, nothing can taint it. Accepted before God so assuredly, no one can cast you out of his presence. Raised to life with Jesus, so full and enduring that death is but a shadow. is nothing to fear. Approved in Jesus so wholeheartedly that the Father says over you the same words he's spoken over Jesus. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. In Christ. In Christ. Faith in him. This is the grace of God. This is the cancelled debt. This is the gift of Jesus, our saviour. Are you living in the reality of it? Have you become so used to horizontal perspective that you've forgotten the love of God for you in Christ? Maybe you've never seen it, but today you do. It's yours for the taking. Maybe you're a believer, but over time, Come to resemble Simon more than this woman.
come to Jesus today, whether for the first time or the thousandth time, he invites you. He invites you. Is your love cold towards God this morning? If it is, it's not about trying to love God more. It's not about working something up. You're simply invited to see and savor Jesus. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. Loving God starts by knowing his love for you. And oh, how it transforms us. How awesome it is. What a pleasure it is to love God. It is so great to love God. It is the greatest commandment and it's our greatest joy. To love him as you receive something of his love and your heart is turned to him. Oh, you can sing of his love for you. And boy, do you want to sing of your love for him. To finish, let's consider then the heart that has been turned by the love of God. Let's consider this woman's heart, this woman's dear heart in this scene. What does it look like? What it looks like? Love. See how she enjoys loving Jesus. There's no external compulsion. Her heart flies to him. She would go nowhere else. She delights to pour out her affection and boldly and fearlessly and generously and passionately to love him because he first loved her. Her love is not the grounds of her forgiveness. Don't read it that way. That's the wrong way to read it. That's not what Jesus is saying. She's not forgiven because she loved, and therefore after that came the forgiveness. Her love is a reflex to his forgiveness. It's the response. He loved, and so now she loves. The heart turned to him is a heart of love. It's a heart that's bold and fearless. This woman doesn't care anymore about what people think of her. All she wants is to be with Jesus. Her eyes are just fixed on him. Do you want to walk free from the fear of man? I do. It must be through looking to Jesus. If you want to grow in boldness, it's not by working up more courage within yourself. It must be by looking to Jesus, the one who accepts us as we are, who loves us completely. Gain that vertical perspective. A heart turned is one of love. It's one of um, boldness. It's one of generosity. Her alabaster jar was full of costly perfume and she delighted to put it at the feet of Jesus. Nothing held back. This wasn't a cold, calculated tithe. This was an overflowing offering of love to him. As you see more of the love of God, you cannot hold on miserly to things. You must inevitably be open-handed with it because you realize all that you've received from him. A heart turned to him is humble. For this woman, attending to the feet of Jesus was such a high honor. For everyone else in the room, it's the work of a slave, despised. The more you see of Jesus, the more likely you become, the more ready you are to serve in any way, in any way. As long as I'm with him, rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked, just as long as I'm with him. For some of us, we will have jobs and responsibilities which have lots of responsibility. The application is not you leave that. The application is you don't hold on to it as your identity, but present it to him and say, in this way I serve. 
And I'm doing it by allowing your love to become more and more prominent in my thinking that everything I do, from answering an email to uh, assessing a patient to teaching a student to whatever it might be, to fixing a technical problem with computers, is all worship. It's all an offering. It's all sanctified. It's all for you. A heart that's turned is one full of love and boldness and generosity and humility and peace. She goes in peace. Peace of God spoken over her. Wouldn't you like to have a heart that's as full as that woman's? Wouldn't you love that? Today, it's an offer to you again. Whatever your starting point, Jesus offers you himself. Offers you himself again today. I know I need to come to him every day and look afresh at him and have him again turn my heart towards him and just bask in his goodness. The way I'd like us to respond is we're going to stand and sing together. Band is just going to come up now. Um, we're going to sing a song of devotion to Jesus. And as you sing, just allow the truth of who he is, holy God, gracious Savior, offering himself fully to you. Allow that to cause your heart to fly again to him and to take him as your own, your treasure. It's what faith is. Take him, see and savor him. And allow it to cause us together to sing a song of love and thanksgiving. Why don't we stand up, I'll pray, and then we'll sing. Lord Jesus, you are the Holy One of God. You're the light of the world. You are light in you, there is no darkness at all. And yet you're the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you're my Passover Lamb who takes away my sins. I thank you, Jesus, you invite all to come to you with our heavy burden to lay it at your feet and enjoy your rest. To love in response to your love for us. So Spirit of God, would you come now, I pray. Would you come upon every heart and mind in this room and would you unveil us to see something true again of Jesus that we might love you greatly in this moment and in every moment this week, we're going to breathe the breath you've given us to breathe, to worship you. Jesus, my God, my Savior. Lord, we're not into projection of ourselves to make us look good in front of others. Repent of that. We're into a postured, postured heart that's turned to you. We love you.